Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. Today, I want to talk about creating distance between you and temptation. Creating distance between you and temptation. We're going to be in James chapter 1, if you want to turn there with me right now. Um, My oldest son, uh, William, a wonderful young man, has his permit now, okay? So watch out, world, right? We have another one on the road. He's doing a great job. He's learning. And uh, I noticed when we first started, like week one, when he got that permit and he was learning how to drive, um, he was kind of getting used to uh, how to keep the car between the lines. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like if you have a small car and and you're used to like seeing, you know, down the hood, you can see all the lines, but I have a a, a truck, right? I have F-150. And so it's just a little bit different. And you're kind of like, like, am I in the line? Am I not in the line? And I was just thinking, can you imagine if the designers of roads were like, hey, cars are six feet wide or less. So why spend all this extra money and pavement? Like, let's just make the lanes six feet wide. That's all we need, right? Six feet. So let's just make the lane six feet wide. And if they did that on week one of my son learning how to drive would have been a complete disaster, okay? Because we would have been sideswiping everyone. Did you know that margins save lives? Okay? They literally save lives. Like, and when we talk about temptation, I want to talk about having room for error, or margin of error. Have you ever used that phrase before, some, some margin of error, right? And th- as we look at temptation, I think that's what we're talking about, is how do we have a little bit of room for error? Um, because here's the thing, nobody holds a brand new baby in their arms and says, I hope someday this child grows up to lose respect for me because of my addiction issues. No groom watches a a bride walk down the aisle towards him on his wedding day thinking, I hope this ends with an affair and a nasty divorce. I hope my kids get caught up in the middle of something because of some sexual issues in my life, right? No one thinks, you know, my goal for high school is to get pregnant before I graduate, right? No one has those goals in their life, but the thing is, it happens all the time. And what we need in our lives is margin for error, some margin for error. And by the way, if that's your story, Right? If you're someone who is, has borne the consequences of things in your life, I, don't want you to, I want you to know there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, Every one of us has battled things in our life, me included. 
So I just want you to know that we're all on the same level floor right here. And Jesus wants to help us today. He wants to equip us. And how do we protect ourselves from temptation? Because what I found is that when it comes to temptation, uh, we, we kind of know where the lines are. Like we, we sort of know, I mean, you, you may just be a brand new Christian, but you kind of know where some lines are that God has given to us already. It's, it's, they're, they're kind of obvious. But what we do, and if, if you remember your younger years, maybe if you're older, right, you, you know where the line is, but you just kind of want to go like right up to it, right? And just like, how close can I get to the line without falling over it, you know? It's like when, when I was in college ministry and we would talk about dating and people would ask the question like, how far is too far? Meaning like physically, how far is too far? And the question was basically like, how close can we get to the line, Chris? without falling over. And it's like, if we're asking that question, I think we should need to back up a little bit because I'm concerned. She's going to fall right over. We push the limits. And today, I, I believe that the Lord wants to help us create some margin around areas of temptation in our life. We're going to be in James chapter 1. Just so you know, James was the half-brother of Jesus. And he's a half-brother because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit right? So Mary and Joseph have other children. One of them, James, becomes a follower of Jesus after the resurrection. Now, if, if you have a sibling, can you just raise your hand for me right now? Do you, do you think that you would have success um, trying to convince your sibling that you're the Messiah? No. Yeah, exactly, right? Because we see you, we know you, we see you behind closed doors, right? We, we know the real story. And so to think that Jesus' brother puts his faith in him, that's actually a, a, an incredible testimony of the, of the sinlessness of Jesus' life. James becomes one of the elders of the church in Jerusalem, and he writes this letter. And what's so cool about this letter is it's one of the earliest letters that we have. It was written probably within 10 to 20 years of the resurrection of Jesus. So this is early stuff. In fact, the persecution has not yet broken out, and all this movement is really kind of centered on Jerusalem, where James is the elder, the presiding pastor over this church. And here's what he writes to them about uh, about temptations, he says in verse 12, blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Verse 13, no one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth, 
so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is the word of the Lord. So here we have James, this uh, presiding elder, half-brother of Jesus, and he begins to talk in chapter one about trials, tests, and temptations, and he gives them really this understanding of temptation, and the first thing that I I want to point out is what he is making the point of, it's that when we are tempted to sin, it's not God's doing. He wants to be super clear about that. When you're tempted to sin, it is not God's doing. In fact, Jesus, when he teaches his disciples how to pray, you, you probably know the, 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 the Lord's prayer. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul writes, for this is God's will. For you, this is God's will for you, your sanctification. Have you ever wondered, God, what's your will for my life? What what do you want? And Paul says it's sanctification, meaning that's the process of becoming more and more and more like Christ. It's becoming holy. And when you were saved by, by Jesus, he declared you holy, meaning that in the sight of God, You are fully accepted, declared holy, but we are all in this little process of becoming like Jesus and we still struggle and we still sin. And there's this kind of like this process and I almost liken it to a high jump. Did did, did you guys ever high jump before? We have a high jumper? Way to go. No one else raised their hand? Oh, Oh, yes, of course you did too. Okay, Andrew back there. So when I was in middle school, my, uh, my, 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 my little school, St. Paul Lutheran in Austin, it had, they had this uh, little you know, area where they, all the track people would, would practice, and they'd never put all the pads away and all the gear away because we were a small school and we probably didn't have enough staff and all that kind of stuff. And so they would leave the high jump stuff up. And so we would go out at recess and we would practice the high jump. And when you first see it, you're like, no one ever jumps over that ever. Right? There's no way. But then you see somebody who has the technique and you're like, oh, so it's like you arch your back and you go. And, and then you, you master it about maybe the third or fourth time. And then what happens? We raise the bar. Have you ever noticed that it's like God's been convicting you about one thing in your life and then you deal with that thing? And you're like, oh, victory in Jesus, Right? And then he starts convicting you about something else. And you're like, we just dealt with some stuff, God. This is where you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master, right? No, it's, it's like he's just, he's just molding us more and more. God's will for us is that would be more like Jesus. And he goes on to say that God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. God, what's your calling on my life? It's to live in holiness, He's forming us into his image. And here's the point. God will never pull you towards temptation. He will always pull you toward holiness and purity. It's his will for your life. It's his calling on your life to become more and more like Jesus. And here's what I want to say. If you are feeling convicted about something in your life, congratulations. You're hearing the voice of God in your heart. 
That's him speaking to you, pulling you into holiness. So if temptation isn't from God, where does it come from, right? Great question. He says this in verse 14, that we are dragged away, meaning we're lured. We're lured by something. Like we see something and it lures us in. We're enticed, meaning that we are, we're baited. We're, we're entrapped. Um, it's, it's like a fishing, or a fishing term to hook, like something hooks you. You're caught by the bait. And the bait that he says is what? It's our own evil desires, our own evil desires. Now, have you ever said or heard someone say, the devil made me do it, right? When you eat the last cookie and your family's mad at you and you're like, the devil made me do it, (laughs) right? (laughs) The thing is, James doesn't point to the devil, does he? James says there's something on the inside of us, our own evil desire, and it lures us, it baits us, it entices us, and it drags us away. So where do these desires come from? Well, if you uh, know the story of Genesis chapter 3, it says there was a serpent in the garden, and apparently it was a different time because uh, the serpent starts talking to them, okay? Some things have changed since those days. And the serpent, we know, is Satan. And the serpent says, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? It's like, your God is so oppressive. You can have no fun. You can't eat from any tree. Did you hear the suggestion that's going on, right? And Eve says correctly, oh, no, no, no. It's just the tree in the middle. If we eat from it, he said, we will surely die. And then the serpent says, no, you will surely not die, right? You're, you're not going to die because God knows that when you eat of it, you'll become like him, knowing both good and evil. And again, he's suggesting like, God is keeping you from the good stuff. Really? Like, just, did you see? It's like, it's like the real oppressor calling the liberator the oppressor. He's oppressing you. He's he's holding you down. He's keeping you from the good stuff. And and you know the story. They fall. They take the fruit. Eve eats it. She gives some to Adam. He eats it. And in Psalm 51.5, David, who's reeling from an affair, he says this, indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me meaning that because of the the sin of the first family, that you and I have inherited this thing that we call original sin or a sin nature. It's in us. And James says it's what entices us, it's what lures us, and it's what baits us, and it's not God's doing. Can I say this? You may have asked, God, why did you make me this way? Meaning, you have a propensity, which, by the way, we all have a propensity towards certain sins. All of us do. 
and, and you have it, and it feels so like innate to you that you're like, God, I know you made me, you knit me together in my, my mother's womb, right? How would you make me this way and then tell me that I shouldn't live this way, right? And here's what I, I just want to say is that God didn't make you that way, but you were born that way. Because each of us was born into sin and under sin. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So we're born with the sin nature and it lures us and it entices us and it draws us. And, and, and just notice what James does is he gives us the anatomy of temptation. It's like, it's like if we could go into the, the lab at school and we could get the, the little temptation out of the formaldehyde and we could cut it open and see all the layers. It's like he's giving us this insight into the inner workings of temptation. And he says that we're lured and enticed by our own, our own evil desire. The desire seizes us. It brings forth sin. It gives birth to sin. And then ultimately sin, it matures into, it breeds death. End of story. So cliche. Not rocket science. We're enticed. We're, we're seized. We sin. And it produces death. And we've all been there. We've all been there. And at the end... When you fall into sin, the satanic fog of suggestion lifts and all you're left with is an empty feeling and regrets. The second thing, following the bait of temptation ultimately leads us to misery. He uses the word death. Right? It gives birth to death, which means loss of life. I found this quote from the outline of biblical usage, and here's what it says. In the widest sense, it means death comprising all the miseries arising from sin, as well as physical death, as the loss of life consecrated to God and blessed in him on earth to be followed by wretchedness in hell. Yikes, right? Like that is super comprehensive. We have this, uh, we have death comprising all the miseries. We have physical death, loss of life consecrated to God, loss of blessing, and followed by wretchedness in hell. Like, whoa, wow. It's, it's the picture of ultimate misery and we all know it from experience, Right? At very least, our sins will leave us feeling empty, right? It doesn't fulfill what it promises. It, it violates our own conscience. We, we sense a disconnection from God, and then we try to cover it up and escape the consequences. That's the very least. And at very most, it's the adultery that causes a marriage to end and kids to get caught in the middle. It's, it's the addiction that causes our relationships to be destroyed by broken promises. It's the gossip who loses all of their friendships or loses at least the trust of the people around them because they just know what they're gonna say about them when they're not there. It's just 
death. It's, it's the teen that gets pregnant or the teen that gets someone pregnant and is considering abortion. And it's just death and misery. And I think the point for us is that death actually means death. Because there's a thing in us, that little voice that echoes over the, you know, the ages that says, no, you surely will not die. And yes, it brings death, death of hope, death of dreams, death of plans for the future, death of love, death of relationships, death, death of trust, death of self-esteem, etc., etc., etc. And James wants us to know like where this is going to take us. And then he gives us something that's quite the opposite. What probably one of your favorite verses in the Bible. In verse 16, here's what he says. And this is this is beautiful. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, for every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And what's so interesting is that James uses some of the same words that he's talking about temptation and what it does and how it forms and what it produces, and he applies it to our relationship with God. See, the opposite of evil desire conceiving and giving birth to sin, which, you know, results in death, is God's own desire, his own choice, his own purpose to conceive in us and give us new birth by the Holy Spirit and to bring out a harvest of life. Right? It's, it's to bring every good and perfect gift to us. It's like temptation is going this way and God is moving this way in the opposite direction. And here's the, the, the lie of temptation. And the best thing about a lie is what? It's not true. The best thing about a lie is that it's not true. And here's the lie. The lie is this. We, we must take for ourselves in an illegitimate way what God would provide for us in his time in a legitimate way. I'll say it again. The lie is that we, we must take for ourselves in an illegitimate way what God would provide for us in his time in a legitimate way. Did you catch that? Are you, are you following what I'm saying? Let's just pick one out of the list of things that we could be tempted by. Um, you're unmarried and you have sexual desires. By the way, totally normal. That's actually healthy, okay? You, you, you have desires. You're tempted to violate the lines that God has placed out for us and to take for yourself sexually before marriage in an illegitimate way, okay? That's the temptation. That's the thing that, that's burning in your, in your chest, right? And the lie that you're hearing is like, well, no one does that anymore. Nobody waits for marriage anymore, right? And how could you marry someone if you haven't done that with them, right? So, so how, how could you commit yourself to that person without even, like, knowing? And by the way, I just want you to know that like, it works just fine, 
okay? Young people, you, you don't even need to, it, it will work out just fine. Casey and I, when, when we got married, I had never been with a, a, a woman before like that. And guess what? All good, right? No problems. So young people, don't fall for the lie. And what happens is this. It diminishes the beauty of what God created to be a sacred expression of intimacy and covenant, right? And it diminishes it. And it turns it into a performance. And here's the thing. If you give yourself to, to, to the Lord and you have that desire and you put that on the altar and say, God, I would like to get married. I, I, it's in my dreams. I feel like it's something that you've given me. I want to be married. I, I have these desires, God. And if you will just pursue God's plan, and I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know when he's going to bring that right person into your life. But if you will just do that in, in the right time when you're ready and God's fulfilled all the things that he needs to do inside of your heart to prepare you for that moment, he will bring that person into your life. And you're going to have so much joy and it will be legitimate joy because you did it God's way. But if we don't, what happens? We used to use an, an, an illustration of building a fire in a fireplace. And uh, if you were to build a fire in your fireplace at home, it burns and it warms, especially like as the weather's getting cooler. Can we praise God for cool weather right now? Like, yes, hands are raising, praises are rising, right? It's just, we were outside eating last night. My wife had a birthday. We just celebrated a birthday for her. It was awesome. We're sitting outside and I almost needed a light coat. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. I'm thankful that I'm shivering right now. Like, it's so great. And if you build a little fire in your fireplace at home and it warms and you're just looking at it and it's just like, it just looks nice and you're like, oh, this is great, right? Now, if you take that same fire and you just go into a different corner of the room and you were to build it right there, it, what's going to happen, right? You're going to burn the whole house down. It's the same thing, just in the wrong place. And that's how it is with our, our sexuality. It's like God has created some boundaries. It's a fireplace. And when fire is in the fireplace, everyone's happy. But when it's not, lives start burning down. And so we have this temptation to take in an illegitimate way what God created to give us in a legitimate way. And here's what I want to say to us. This is so important. This is where we draw the line between legalism and true holiness. It's this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he what? Rewards those who earnestly seek him. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because you must believe that he exists. That seems pretty obvious. Okay, I'm going to put my faith in God because I believe he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly 
seek him. He rewards those who, who earnestly seek him. And here's the key, is that we must believe that what God has for us is better than whatever is tempting us right now. He will reward those who earnestly seek him. I, I find myself coming back to this theme over and over again right now, is that I really want you to know that the way of God is the very best way that you could ever, ever, ever live. It's the most joyful, most happy, most exciting, adventurous, wonderful way of life ever. Like, if you want to live a good life, follow Jesus, like, closely. Seriously. It, it is the most abundant of lives that you could ever, ever experience. And it's what Jesus promised. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come to give you life and life more abundantly, overflowing, overabounding life. If you want that, if you, if you just dream of a, a better future, follow Jesus. Like, go all in for him. Seriously. It's life, and we have to believe that what God has for us is so much better than what is tempting us right now. The righteous will live by faith, not by just, you know, law, but by believing that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. So hear me out. When you face temptation, you will have to take up your cross and follow Jesus. You will have to die to it. But here's the beauty of the gospel. Crosses lead to resurrection. Amen? So when you take up the cross and you die to that temptation, you are just preparing yourself to receive the life of Jesus. And it's so good. So when we're tempted to sin, it's not God's doing, right? If we follow the bait of temptation, it always leads us to misery. And thirdly, resisting temptation enables us to experience God's good gifts. He has good gifts for you. He likes to give them to you. He loves you. He created you. He wants to bless you. He rewards people who earnestly seek him. It's his heart. And he wants us to experience it. So let's get practical. How do we create distance between ourselves and temptation? Jesus said some pretty hardcore stuff. He said one time in the Sermon on the Mount, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your right hand, your strong hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it into the fire. Because it's better for you to lose a part of your body than to be thrown into the fires of hell. <sighs> Hard words, right? And the point he's making is this, take drastic measures. If you really believe that temptation leads you to death, but God's come to give you life, take some drastic measures. So here's the first one, physical distance, physical distance. We, re we have to remove ourselves physically from temptation. Let me just give, I'm throw out some examples. If you are tempted to drink too much, like that's a part of your past, that's a part of your story, it's like I am prone to drink too much. Here's what I would say to you, get alcohol out of your house 
physically remove it, physical space. If driving past a certain store on the way home from work causes that desire to be inflamed inside of you, find another way to get home. Amen? Don't drive past that store anymore. Okay? You physically remove yourself. You might even say, like, I need to physically remove myself from a group of people that when I'm with them, I always find myself drinking too much. I just can't be there. Because I know. And if my right hand is causing me to sin, it's probably best just to chop it off and throw it in the fire, according to Jesus. Another, if you're dating and you're tempted sexually, Here's what I would say. Don't be alone together at night under a blanket watching a movie with no one else in the house. Amen? Right? I know. When you're dating, that's all you want to do. Let's just watch a movie. I'm a little cold. Yeah, let's get the blanket. And it's like, you're just, like, here's the line, and you're just, like, getting as close as you can to the line, right? Don't sleep over. Don't cohabitate. Don't change clothes in front of each other. You, you just don't do that. Because you're just, you're just enticing the evil desire in your heart. If it's pornography, throw your phone in the trash can. Seriously. It's better for you to not have an iPhone than to lead yourself into death. Amen? Go find the cheapest, most terrible, like, senior citizen phone you can find, all right? And rock that thing to the glory of God. And, and alpha numeric text people on it. Your text will be so much shorter. You're like, ah, I went back to the four again. Hang on, you know, yes. That's all I wanted to say was yes. <laughs> Remove yourself from it. Or maybe it's like, hey, at certain times of the day, I'm, I don't need to be alone. I don't need to have technology near me. I'm just not going to do that because here's what you don't want to do is you don't want to blow up your marriage and you don't want to, you don't want to have your kids disrespect you and you don't want to go down the road that that's going to lead you to. Amen? It's just not worth it. For example, for me, like when, if a female wants to meet with me, I don't meet with a female alone behind closed doors. And it's not that I'm like tempted. It's just that like, what if somebody says, I saw Chris uh, and he's meeting at the office with, with some lady in our church alone, right? That's the appearance of evil. I have to physically remove myself from the appearance of evil. So we, we just have to, we have to create some margin, some space between the line and where we are and say, look, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to give myself some cushion because I don't want to accidentally like sideswipe everyone that's living in the lane over here, right? I, I don't want to kill anybody with my driving. We need to create some space. Maybe for you, it's like all the coworkers want to go get drinks after work, and that's where you like kind of advance your career and you, you make all the connections and all that kind of stuff. But you know like that's going to give off an appearance of evil. I don't need to be with the opposite sex at a bar after work. Right? So just don't do it. Physically remove yourself. The second, mental and emotional distance. This is creating margin in our inner lives. So... Another example, if you're emotionally bonding with a person who is not your spouse, okay, 
and you have to gauge your heart. Like, I'm emotionally bonding with this person. You need to stop and you need to change some patterns in your, maybe it's your work day or however that looks, to make sure that you're not creating a loss of margin. You need margin for error in your life. Maybe you don't stop to talk with them at work or uh, you know something like that. Or maybe they've confided in you all this stuff and you feel bad about not continuing that relationship. And I just want to remind you that you're not their savior. Jesus is. Amen? And you can just point them to Jesus and say, bye. Check out these other people that are, you know, another woman you can meet with or another man you can meet with and talk about that. Come to church with me. You're invited, right? If you watch media, shows, movies that are portraying sexuality in nudity, even in a bad way, as if like, that's bad, look, they're doing that, and it's going to blow up their life, and the whole theme of the story is like, don't do that. But there's something about us that when we see it, we emotionally try things on, okay? And if that's inflaming some evil desires in you, don't watch it. And when all your friends talk about the show and you don't have any, you have nothing to say about it because you didn't watch it, that's okay. Like really, you're going to survive that. But you won't survive blowing up your life with sexual sin, right? It's just drawing the line in a different place. There are, uh, there are ministries that help people break free from addictions. And one of the acronyms that they use is HALT. HALT. H-A-L-T. And it's an acronym to help us understand what are the emotional triggers that cause us to be tempted. And it stands for this, that when I'm hurt, when I'm angry, when I'm lonely, or when I'm tired, I am more prone towards temptation. And so when, when you begin to you know, learn that about yourself, okay, I feel like my evil desires are stirring up inside of me. I feel tempted right now. What's going on? Am I hurt? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Or am I tired? Maybe you just need to take a nap, you know? I think rather than sin today, I'm just going to sleep. That sounds divine, right? <laughs> or if you're lonely, if you're lonely, it could be like, hey, I'm going to connect with that person from house church. I just, I'm going to reach out and call them. Or I'm going to call my, my parents or, or my friend or whoever, right? Because I realize that I'm lonely and that's causing me to be kind of stirred up on the inside and I need to do something different about that. If I'm angry, right? Let's, let's begin to walk through, how do I make this right? If I'm angry, is there anything that I need to do to clear this up with this person? If not, okay, Jesus, I just release this to you, right? I'm, I'm gonna just release this anger. I forgive that person. I'm letting it go. I'm just gonna do something different. I'm gonna divert myself emotionally away from temptation. Lastly, it, it, one of the most powerful ways to create emotional and mental space is by confessing it to somebody else. Like it, it could be someone in house church. You're like, hey, just FYI, 
Right now, I'm feeling way more tempted in this part of my life. You know, I'm, I'm tempted to gossip. I'm tempted uh, to, to look at something inappropriate. I, I'm, I'm tempted to, to drink again. I'm tempted to use something. I, I'm just, I'm feeling this right now, and I just want you to know that I'm struggling, and there's something about saying it out loud that just disempowers it. And it just helps you just get a little bit more space between you and that thing. And that person is not going to judge you. They're going to say, oh, thank you so much for sharing that with me. Can I pray for you? Like, and, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to call me when you're in the throes of temptation. I want you to call me, and I'm going to pray for you on the phone, and we're going to talk about it. We're just going to help you get over the, the hill of this thing. Okay? That's what they're going to do. Just by confessing it, we need to create some margin in our lives when it comes to temptation because none of us wants to blow up our lives with this. And I just want to end with this one verse. This is Hebrews 2, 18. It says, for since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are tempted. I want you to know that Jesus died for you to open a way for you that in the middle of your struggle, you can come to him. He suffered too. He is tempted in every way that you and I have been tempted. He knows what it's like. He stood in our shoes. And I just want you to know the good news of Jesus says that you can approach him right in the middle of it. And he will help you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rind-church.org.